Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. We are live from the Key Centre in Homebush in Sydney where we're going to be able to see a great matchup between the Flames and the Canberra Caps. It's their third matchup for the season. Joining us, Michelle Hocking from Canberra, who's made the trip up. And uh, also, through the magic of technology, we've got our, my co-host, Jacinta Gavind, who's up on the central coast in Sydney. Sorry, up north of Sydney. And welcome both of you to the show. It's great to be here, Paul. Always love coming on and being with you guys. Awesome. All right, so, um, okay, I'm going to throw it over to you, Jacinta, first of all. How do you think this one's going to go? The, the last two games have been really close. Oh, definitely be close again. Uh, I'm predicting a very fast game. I think whoever um, hustles most is going to win this game because um, that that seems to be you see cap strength more so. Like last time, but definitely this season is that they just out hustle there and that's how they're able to get to be super competitive. So I think it's going to be really, really close. This is the perfect opportunity for teams to keep gelling the way they have in the last few games uh, to cement some really, really good habits heading into the final rounds of the season. And Michelle? Yeah, look, I'm with Jacinda on this. I think it's going to be a close uh, match-up. And you're right, like Sydney have won the last two, but it's only been by a few points in both games. I think it was five points in the first, in round three and like two points in round six. And, and both teams are really just in the last, probably since post-Christmas, have started to, you know, gel as groups because they were both very new groups yeah. at the start of the season. Um, so they're really starting to gel and find their rhythm. And I think... You know, Sydney have been buoyed by the fact that Tess Madgen's been back in the group consistently. Yep. And, I mean, she is just an amazing uh, player who gives such great leadership. Um, and, and the Caps are young, but they, as Jacinta said, you know, they just bring the hustle and they bring uh, the effort. And I think they will be keen, having lost their last game to Bendigo by about... 20-odd, I think it was, in the end. Yeah. They'll be very keen to redeem them themselves. They weren't happy with necessarily the second half of that game. They seemed to just go flat and lose legs. So uh, I'm predicting it's going to be a close one. It's always a little bit of rivalry between Sydney and Canberra as well. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely. And I think uh, one of the things that it's a good story about both these teams is um, <coughs> they started off, they didn't necessarily have the greatest start to the season. But both of them have really started to, to rack up the wins and showing the form that, you know, that they are capable of. Um, how do you think, particularly for, for, for these two teams, this, this is, is helping to buoy their, their spirits as they're going into these games, as they're going into the back end of the season as well? Oh, I think for Sydney, because they're still in finals contention, so um, I think hopefully they're picked at the right time and the and the results are going to be able to fall in favour that they're going to be able to make the top four. But I just want to go back to Michelle's point about having Tess Magin in the fold. It's really interesting. I noticed, especially in the last, in the uh, for the pink round against when Tess Magin was on the floor, the rest of the team just seemed to be at greater sense of ease um, knowing that she was out there she's reliable she like michelle said she's such a good leader and i think it's really important not to uh discredit that off too quickly because given that test just announced in the opal squad of uh 
critics online, particularly the Facebook mafia, were um, criticising test inclusion in that squad. But I think um, it's very, very hard to to replace leadership and someone that can provide that sense of ease in a team like Test does. Yeah, and I think that, um, like, we talked about the fact that Sydney are still in the finals chase, if you like, and uh, so they've got absolutely everything to play for. They're, they're still pushing for a spot in that, that top four at the end of the season. And, you know, the Caps, they're probably not... They're not going to make finals, right? But they are still out there every game. They've got nothing to lose. So, Cap, uh, sorry, Sydney have everything to play for, but the Caps have nothing to lose as well. So that brings just that intensity and and, and uh, a value to the game that I think is going to make this a great, great encounter. Yeah, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is Canberra can actually spoil some of the, the positions as we get further on into towards the back end of the season. So um, nothing's set yet. That's right. It's really, really tight. Um, you know, there's we've still got, you know, Sydney can make finals. Bendigo can still make finals. I think I, I haven't done the math because I just haven't thought it's going to be an option, <laughs> but I don't think the Caps can actually get in there. Um, and Adelaide are out of the race. But not only can teams potentially make the four, they can shape that four as well, you know, determine where other teams potentially finish. Yeah, and there's also the, the, the other side of it, which is, playing for that that position. How far up the ladder can the Caps get? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think any team, I mean, these are professional players and, and professional outfits and they want to put their best foot forward every game. They want to win as many games as they can. They want to, you know, come out as, as high on the ladder as they possibly can on the season. Um, so, you know, they, they do, they have everything to play for and, and I think, you know, there's no doubt that the Caps have um, upset some, you know, on paper, higher-placed teams than them this season. And I think, you know, Sydney are now finding their, their rhythm and, and form. OK, so, Jacinta, look, before we started, there was a bit of, we had a bit of a discussion about the Opals and how the Opals selection went. Let's, let's spend a little bit of time talking about the Opals. I think it was... Um, it was a, 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 an interesting team that's been put together. I think there's, there's a lot of solid... It's, it's, it's a solid team. Obviously, there's been a lot of... There's been a lot of chatter on social media, as there always is. Why wasn't this person put in? Why did that person not get selected? You know, it's, it, it, it always happens. But I'm curious to get your opinion on what you think about this Opal squad that we've, uh, we've got going out to Brazil. Yeah, it's a really interesting mix of um, well, experienced Opals who have been to Cups and Olympics already and and uh, qualifiers such as the one that they're heading to in Brisbane, you said. Uh, really good mix of experienced Opals, um, spanning generations, but so nice additions to our merging Open, Jade Melbourne and Izzy Borlase. I think sometimes with these uh, announcements, which, I mean, we're probably not really it, but I think it would save people a lot of necessarily uh, emotional upset if we cr- try and preface the announcements with the fact that A, a lot of people are still injured and B, sometimes people will be invited and decline the invitation to attend and that's also okay if an athlete chooses to do that. So I think the biggest one to mark that people had was uh, Annalise not making the final 12, but from what I've been told, and I don't have this on 
you know, I, I haven't been told this by Annalie herself, purely what someone else has told me, but, you know, the chance that perhaps sometimes people will just say, oh, actually, I'm not, I'm not in the right, you know, I'm not, I'm not, it's, it can't really be at this point in time for whatever reason, or I just want to focus on my WNBL or whatever like that, and they can start to go. So I think sometimes people just need to remember that also options. Um, but having that, I mean, you've got the likes of all the way up from OJ all the way down to Izzy Borlais. Um, it's a very, very competitive squad. They've been very competitive even to make it into that 20 of the announcement. I mean, we saw people like Chloe Bibby and Lauren Nicholson omitted from that list, and that just shows how talented of a group that we have. Um, I think something that's also really interesting that people are saying online that we need to start um, reflecting some of our quote-unquote old bigs, uh, which I found hilarious because just because the players like Tolo and Kayla George are so long doesn't mean that they're old. They've still got a lot of playing days. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that one kind of goes back to this, 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 this almost like a, a strange focus on the age of some of these players rather than looking at what are the results they're delivering? Look at the results that, that Kayla's delivered over the last 12 months. Look at what Tolo's been doing over in, in Europe mm. over the last 12 months. You know, how could you leave them out? Yeah, absolutely, Paul. And I think part of it is that uh, people don't understand how much better we've got at understanding the body, how athletes look after themselves and their ability to have long careers. I think, you know going back many years, uh, it was quite unusual to have someone still playing at international level, sort of in their, uh, you know, beyond 30, if you yeah. like. Um, but nowadays, you know, the way that these these women look after their bodies and, and their approach to it, um, the science, science that we have behind it, and the way that we manage the workload as well, I think has made a huge difference to the longevity of a, of a player's career. And, uh, yeah, and, you know, those players are experienced, uh, they have the skill set, they know what they're doing, they know what's required, and if they're in form, you're definitely going to take those players along. Yeah, and sorry, but I'd like, I, I mean, I'd really like to be the one selling popcorn to, to the room where somebody turns around and says, yeah, but uh, LJ, you know, is she one of the older bigs that they were talking about? I think she probably was. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, you guys, you know. Yeah, she was, yeah. <laughs> she was one of the ones mentioned in this particular post. And I thought, okay, well, tell me you didn't watch the Women's World Cup, but telling me you didn't watch, watch the Women's World Cup. She dropped, what, like 27 and 12 on Canada in that bronze match. Did she have 27 or she had 30? But she had a phenomenal quiz. So you want to try and tell me that LJ's too old to play at national level? Like, sit, sit down. Yeah, no, no, that's it. That just doesn't make sense. It's like, I think we're at a point where, where people come up with arguments just because it's social media and, you know, they, they want to cause a little bit of outrage. Keyboard warriors. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, look, I think LJ's interesting because I, I have to be honest, Simon and I talked about who we thought would make it through and when I had the conversation with Simon, my hesitation around LJ was only if she was not fit because at the time she'd been in and out resting games. Um, so that would be my only hesitation because it's a lot of an ask to go, you know, play in this season, um, travel to Brazil, play in a, a, a tournament 
and then come back and play. So that was my would have been my only concern with her. And I'll be really upfront. You know, I had the same question of Tess at the time: was yep. is she going to be fit? If both of those guys are fit, you are absolutely taking them. Well, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think that's totally. I think that's totally fair as well, Michelle. Like. Fit versus being old is really different. Like being old and being uh, well enough to play and still being able to keep up, like that's different being fit because, you, as we know, you know, both Tess and LJ have had some three question marks or some niggles at the start of this WNBL season. Um, but I wanted to check, Michelle, uh, both you and Simon during an episode of your UC Caps weekly podcast has predicted Opal squads for this Brazil tournament, so ended up being the closest out of the two of you compared to an outsport. <laughs> yeah, look, Simon will claim that he was, um, but <laughs> I, I put a lot of caveats on mine, and that was around the question marks around, obviously the decision has been, Talbot and Wallace are out, if they yeah. were fit. I'd have them in. Um, and my question was around LJ and um, and Tess, because at that time they were just a few niggles and I thought, oh, are they going to take them or are they not? Um, but, yeah, no, Simon, Simon got one more than me. I didn't put Reed in. I'll be really upfront. I mean, she's had a phenomenal season, yeah. but I just didn't have her in my squad. I think, um, yeah, anyway, I just, I just didn't have her in my, in my 12. No, that's fair enough. Did you have, uh, who did you have, did you have Rochi instead perhaps, or Heel? Uh, no, I didn't have them. I had Rochi. You had Rochi, yeah. that's right, yeah. yeah. Either are those two. Yeah. <laughs> and look. Kind of once you put it down on paper, it kind of leaves your mind, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know. Who wants to be Sandy Brondello? Because as you said, Jacinta, you know, they have we have so much talent in this country or, or available to us that are playing in Europe yeah. um, that, you know, there's there's going to be some unlucky misses. There are some people who mm. possibly could have been there and um, for whatever reason, as you said, some people may not have made themselves available. There's some unlucky misses. Yeah, I mean, I think... Being a selector for the Opals, with the with the talent that we've got available to us, as you said, not only in Australia but also in Europe, has got to be one of the toughest jobs in basketball. Coaching's tough. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would love it if some more tournament opportunities to have uh, an Australian Opal side, and then like they're doing, could have an Australia A and have like the next best 12 that yeah. just missed out, if they were able to play together at some kind of tournament as well, that would be, I would really, really like that. But, I mean, it's finding opportunity to do that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. well, basketball goes all year round, doesn't it? And people have commitments and uh, trying to, I guess, find the opportunities for, for that sort of tournament and then having the players available, uh, given their commitments, is uh, probably... Difficult and challenging, as you say, Jacinda. Yeah, yeah. We might have to just start our own tournament so we get to watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let's just get the World Cup back here again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So... Speaking of international tournaments, one of the things that we hasn't got a lot of a, a, a lot of attention is the gliders. They've been over playing in the Asia Asia Oceania Zone Championships in um, in uh, Thailand, and really they haven't been they haven't gotten a lot of attention. Um, their record, you know, they haven't had the wins that they were expecting, but. 
I think also it's a fairly new squad that they've put together and they've, they've been doing well. They're starting to gel reasonably well. So um, I think it's a matter of time for them. But I, I'd really like to ask you both what you think in relation to... Um, could BA be doing a better job? Just letting, you know, letting people know about them. Um, because, look, they're great athletes, and I think they deserve to, you know, more attention and more focus. Yeah, look, I think, Paul, um, it's always, I guess, a challenge in terms of getting exposure to all of our national teams. And, uh, you know, I think our, our wheelchair athletes are incredible. They have great record, great history, um, and are always competitive, but don't seem to, as you said, to get the exposure that um, the Opals and the Boomers do. Um, you know, I'm not sure where BA sits on how they, are, you know, prioritising, I guess, promotion and, and uh, opportunities for exposure for those teams. Yeah, Jacinta? Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it is a real shame that they haven't had as much exposure um, as the, of our other national teams. I mean, if we want to really uh, uh, celebrate um, diversity and inclusion, it means that we've got to give equal media time and, and air time and access to all of our national teams, not just the boomers and the opals and then trickle down. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I feel like it could have been better advertised of the results and things like how people can watch it. Um, just little things like that to make it as easy as possible to engage with it. Uh, but yeah, I really hope I really hope that they're doing well. It looks like they've worked really hard in the last 12 months to try and go on the recruit because there's a lot of slightest athletes who haven't been in the program for some of them for a little while now because there's a local player, a player local to the Central Coast named Steph who is back in the gliders fold. She was doing some pre-tournament training with the legendary Lethal Tesh down at Woi Woi in preparation. So it looks like they've worked really, really hard to recruit a good team. So I really hope that they're rewarded in this tournament and qualify. Yeah, and I think the other thing that, that comes to mind um, for me, Jacinta, is, you know, the, the wheelbear with the local national sort of wheelchair competitions that are around the different leagues, yep. they don't get, I mean, you know, we have our national leagues that get, you know, NBL and WNBL, WNBL starting to get the exposure it deserves. Yep. Um, so I think that, you know, in order to be able to promote your national team, you need to have a showcase for the community and for the local populations yep. um, to start to engage there so that you can then sort of bubble it up, I guess, and, and get sponsorship and, and start to bring all those sorts of things on to the table to enable, um, uh, I guess, more opportunity for exposure. Yeah, we, we I mean... Oh, yeah. Recently we had... <coughs> actually, I think it dropped yesterday. We had uh, Sarah Houston on, on the pod. And she mentioned some of these things and that the team has actually made a conscious decision that they're going to try and um, be more active on social media, be more active, get themselves out there more to bring more attention to the team to try and attract the sponsorship. Because, look, from my opinion, I think they're a great opportunity for companies who want to get involved with basketball or with uh, wheelchair sports because... It's a great team. They've got a, a, a high profile. The name is well known. And, 
you know, it, it's an opportunity to get involved uh, at what would probably be a fairly low cost to enter mm. into the sponsorship process and help to build the team up. Yep. Especially those companies that are specialised in wheelchair prescription and equipment. Like, to me, that's just a no-brainer of having a partnership between a company like that and, wheel and a wheelchair sport. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's... It, it, it... It's, it's really obvious and we really hope that, that, that some of these can start to drop. Um, now, one of the other things I really want to talk about is, and, and this one's a little bit kind of off, not, not so much about the game per se, but it's more about the fans. Um, I love these Canberra-Sydney matchups for a whole bunch of reasons, not the least of which is we're not that far apart as cities go. There should be, um, I don't know how, to, how we can organise or how it gets organised, but there should be an, an opportunity for, you know, fans or even members from both clubs to, you know, travel between the two. Because I know we, like, we came down and did to, to one of the games. We did a live pod from there with, with you, Michelle. Um, and, and Phil Brown, and, and it was great, and it's it's a fantastic atmosphere down in Canberra. I think probably the biggest issue Sydney fans would have is getting in getting the door, tickets. getting a ticket. <laughs> um, but I'm curious. I'd like to know from from all of you, from both of you, what you think uh, about the idea of, of having a um, having some sort of you know travel between the two centres to be able to get to to these games. Um, I think it would be great if the clubs kind of organised, I guess, like a supporters bus or, or something similar to that for these clashes. And, and if we built this up as a bit of a... Um, like, Southside and Melbourne have the Michelle Tins Cup, right? So there's no reason why. I mean, there's a, a history between Carrie Graff with the Capitals and her time with the Sydney Flames. So why couldn't we look at something like that, have supporters buses, particularly for those games, um, or something like that? I think it would be great. I mean, there's Cam I can see some Canberra uniforms sitting in the crowd now, so people make the effort to get here themselves, but if, you, if the club did something and drove it that way, um, I think that people would get on board. Yeah, and obviously we've got we've got fans like um, Nick, who's a, a very, very big supporter of the pod, who's always travelling between Sydney and Canberra to catch the games down there. Um, what, I mean, Jacinta, I, I think, you know, I mean, obviously as a, as a an ex-Caps player, you, you'd have your own opinion on this one. Um, but, you know, I think getting the fans to do things, to have those opportunities would be a great way to build up more um, opportunities to engage with the fans. Yeah, and I think, like, drumming up some kind of rivalry between the two, I mean, those kinds of sporting rivalries uh, between teams and, you know, how they want to drum up the rivalry between the Kings and the Jackies or the Kings and the Hawks. I don't know why they're always inclined with men's sports. Why can't a women's sport also have a healthy rivalry like making the Flames and the Caps as the, the M1 rivalry or something? Um, but it's a little bit, uh, for me, between the Caps and the Flames in particular, it can be a bit conflicting because the Flames being the first team that I... Uh, that I ever saw and was kind of my, my representation to pursue professional basketball, but then the Caps being the team that I played professional basketball with. Um, 
But I feel like, yeah, it's a bit probably a missed opportunity to get a little healthy rivalry, to increase some fan engagement. I think, you know, UC Caps fan engagement is already very healthy and has been for a long time. But uh, it would be a good way perhaps to try and get some more active and passionate fans of, of the Sydney Flames with a bit more of a voice. Yeah, and one of the things I think I'd like to see if something like that could happen is that you give a, a large block of seats to the Caps fans where they can sit together here at the Key Centre and really make a lot of noise rather than, you know, maybe having them scattered around different different parts of the seating. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Yeah, I don't know. It'd bring some... Yeah, you know, Michelle. Yeah, sorry. Just in a, uh, I think it'd be great, you know. It would just add to the atmosphere of the game. Um, and if, if fans are travelling, and whether it was Sydney coming to Canberra or Canberra coming to Sydney, you want to sit with your group, right? You want to be with your mob, so to speak, and and uh, be able to really get into the game and, and support your team. So I think, yeah, I think there's some work that could be done there, Paul. You're onto something. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember when we uh, like we travelled down to um, Dandenong for the the grand final game, game two in Melbourne, and they they sort of had they had all the Sydney fans sitting in one block, massively outnumbered, but they made a hell of a lot of noise in that game, and it really added to the atmosphere. So the big question we got is. Um, is this something that should be organised by the, the, you know, fans or the clubs? What do you think? Clubs. Yeah, I'm with <laughs> you. I reckon, I reckon clubs. I mean, it's the club's responsibility to build the brand, get the fans, get the fans involved, all that kind of business side, I suppose. I reckon it should be... At least, I mean, even if the idea or the initiative comes from a fan, I think it's still the club's responsibility to take the baton and run with it. But like you said, Paul, when you're able to sit in an away game in a block of seating with the rest of the fans from that team, every other sport do it. Even the NBL do it. So why don't we do it? Yeah, you know, it's... It's a great way to get that engagement. They should be sitting together rather than sort of scattered around here or there. They can make some noise. They really help to boost their, the the away team. Um, it's, it just makes so much sense, and I'm I'm surprised that the clubs haven't really tried to find some way to, to make this happen. I'm sure they'll find enough fans who'd be willing to, you know, to okay, it's going to cost you this much extra to get get bussed down and back. Uh, I'm sure that would be that would work. Yeah, I'm sure it would, and it'd be a great experience for fans. I mean, just you know, you know what it's like to be a part of a team and sit on a bus and travel to a game and travel home, and and just sort of you know the friendships that you build and the relationships you build as players and athletes doing that. You know, why can't we have that kind of experience for our our fans as well, where they actually get to know people a bit better and and, and build those relationships amongst themselves as well? I think it'd be fantastic. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like, I don't. I can tell you about the times we went on a particular road trip and the games we played and how much fun it was, but I can't tell you the results of the games that we played. Like, I'm not going to remember that part. I'm going to remember the feeling and the experience and that, that sense of uh, building relationships and nostalgia rather than, oh, yeah, that was the game where we... We won by 20 points or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That stuff doesn't matter in the end. Yeah, it's... I mean, I, I remember... 
I, I remember that the, the couple of times that we've been interstate for finals games. Um, there's a group, there's a core group that always goes. And that core group, they all get to know one another, especially if, if you do it a few times. And it helps to build that bond between the fans as well. And it also helps to build the bond between the fans and the club and make it stronger. And so, you know, it's like you said, Jacinta, it's just good marketing to do that. Okay. Well, guys, uh, we are getting close to uh, tip-off, and obviously it's getting louder in here as we get towards uh, tip-off time. Um, so, look, I'd like to say thanks to you both for joining me on the show. Um, Jacinda, enjoy. I'm guessing you're going to be watching the game on TV. Yeah, yeah, definitely. This one's going to be close. I'm going to be sitting squarely on the fence with who I'm going for, and I want both teams to win for different reasons, so that's conflicting, but I will be watching at home. I've just popped some dinner in the oven, so I'll be I'll be all very well and comfortable come 7 o'clock. Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Michelle, for joining us. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Jacinda. And uh, everybody who's, who's listening into us, enjoy the game.